Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented broadcast radio and uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, we uh, explore on any given week contemporary issues in education and a variety of other topics uh, dedicated to leadership development and just overall well-being. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, today we have uh, a guest with us who is an organizational psychologist, a behavioral scientist, and in fact a charter member of the International Positive Psychologists Association. He's written a number of articles and books uh, that have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Fast Company, one that I read a lot. Um, he's a uh, serves as a senior leader at Active Wellness, and so he actually has an upcoming book called uh, The Fun Habit, which we're going to hear a little bit about a little later, but I'm pr- pleased to introduce you um, to Dr. Mike Rucker. Uh, welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, glad to have you, and, you know, um, there's a lot that I, that I would love for us to be able to cover. I know we only have 30 minutes, but it's just so much. <laughs> and the timeliness of this topic is incredible that, you know, we, we've been talking a lot um, in, in the public spaces around um, work. And um, I'm not sure if it's real or not, but they're talking, they, some people have framed it and named it as the great resignation. So there's so many debates about um, not just behavior in the workplace, but uh, the workplace itself. And and so one area, and I know there are many that you have covered, but one area that you have covered that I'd love for us to just kind of talk about a little bit um, eventually is about authenticity in the workplace um, in terms of how you should show up. But first, I would really love to hear about what you do and some of the work that you're currently doing with um, active wellness, and because and, I know you have a fascinating background um, in, in workplace wellness as well. So tell me a little bit about what you're currently doing and some of the work you've done. Sure. So it's kind of bifurcated into two different areas. So um, as a, when I was getting my doctoral work in organizational psychology, my focus was um, on workplace wellness, and that's what Active Wellness does in partnership with Providence, which is a major hospital group out of the West Coast. We mm-hmm. put wellness centers in various installations, corporate campuses, um, residential facilities, and, and things of that nature. And then um, I have also have been studying the science of fun uh, since graduating in 2016. And so the culmination of that work, um, looking at fun and pursuing fun as an alternative to um, pursuing happiness has been mm-hmm. the corpus of my research work um, mm-hmm. since, since 2016, and uh, hence the upcoming book, The Fun Habit. Sure. So tell tell me, I, I mean, you have me uh, captivated. So pursuing fun <laughs> versus happiness. Tell me a little bit about the difference. I know this is probably a sneak peek into the book, but please tell me a little bit about um, what's the difference between fun and happiness. 
Yeah, so, you know, happiness tends to be a lagging indicator of our emotional state, right? And so uh, specifically in psychology, we frame it as this term called subjective well-being, which is very much uh, determined by a quantitative instrument. And even when we're talking about happiness, it tends to be retrospective, right? And so why that becomes problematic is that um, in its essence, we have to kind of think about how we're feeling, right? And generally, if we're overly concerned with uh, our own happiness, that tends to lead to negative self-talk and also identifying as like, I'm not where I want to be, um, mm. so I must not be happy, right? And so yeah. there's, there's a lot of research. The research that I really enjoy is from Dr. Iris Mouse out of um, Berkeley, but uh, her studies have been replicated that especially in the Western world, when we tend to perseverate on, um, you know, this lacking in our lives, uh, paradoxically, it makes us less happy, right? But mm -hmm. framing it as seeking out fun is um, an immediate response, right? So we often talk about, especially in the business world, action versus reaction. It's mm -hmm. an actionary response to wanting to live a more pleasurable life. And so what I found, because I know we're short on time, um, is that, uh, by using that frame um, and applying that to um, optimizing anything from, you know, how you're operating uh, any daily activity to how you're operating work to how you're um, interacting with your friends, um, trying to find opportunities to make it a little bit more enjoyable reaps huge benefits. And then that ends up becoming a leading indicator, right? So now you're mm -hmm. indexing mm -hmm. all these memories um, that are fun because you're actually using your agency and autonomy uh, to elicit that. Um, it, one, it builds resilience, but two, you start to learn from that. You're like, oh, this is what I enjoy. And so there's a whole host of benefits. I know, um, you know a lot of your audience skews towards work, but as you can imagine, if you start to critically examine your daily activities for making them more fun, you know, whatever that is, um, then you start to uh, be more productive. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. So that's, yeah. The, that's the frame. Like instead of sort of sitting back and taking, you know, an introspective approach of, you know, why am I not happy and how can I be happier? It's sort of how can I take immediate steps to actually make my life more pleasurable, which, you know, has this amazing side effect of making you more happy. Sure, sure. Well, you know, um, it's a large part. I know you um, have played a role in founding the uh, the organization with of positive psychology. Um, I am a certified um, uh, coach in StrengthsFinder, and that's one of the big oh, nice. uh, premises. Yes, in um, in StrengthsFinder with uh, Don Clifton, as you know, a noted um, positive psychology um, researcher. And that's based um, on Slegelman's work, right? Yes, uh, yes. Signature strengths. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And and so um, you know the one of the main areas is that, um, or I should say, premises is that you have. 
Um, you look, take a look at what you do well versus what you don't do well. You know, it's like uh, focusing there um, from an assets model and not a deficit model. Um, and that if you're doing the kinds of things that you do well, automatically you have you have a better outlook. You have a you report that you have a better quality of life, that you enjoy the work that you do. So I, I certainly identify with that. You know, it's interesting that um, I know I saw a report recently that Finland was voted the happiest country in the world. So I, I remember, and you know, so you have to look at what some of these indicators are, just as you as you mentioned. And, and so some of this where they're measuring happiness, they're using indicators that talk about things like how much citizens trust their government and large institutions. And that's, that's very different from what I hear you saying about fun. So it makes a lot more sense now. But that's a great segue into, um, you know, the reason that I think a lot of people dialed in today, because we were going to talk about authenticity at work. And mm -hmm. the reason that you often see those Nordic countries on the top of that happiness index is because they look at the way they operate as more of a we proposition than mm -hmm. a me proposition. And so I'm certainly not telling people to, um, you know, when I talk about authenticity um, in the workplace, not to be themselves, right? So I think the, the main distinction that I make there is how can you bring your best self to work because that mm -hmm. is the stage that you're operating within rather mm -hmm. than making the corpus of your time within a group environment about yourself, which is um, I think, you know, we often talk about pendulums swinging one way or the other, and mm -hmm. I certainly have a lot of admiration for um, the social influence that younger generations have brought, right? But one of the ill effects is that um, if you are looking for an organization where the primary output of that organization is to do something and mm -hmm. you are deviating because of, you know, some, uh, you know, something that's really within your core, so not the we but the me, that can often um, lead to ill consequences, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, that at the core of, you know, questioning whether or not, one, an occupation is a good fit for you, but two, whether or not it's in the best interest of the group rather than the best interest of yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. I, you know, I think about um, people who, who feel that they, they show up um, in their jobs kind of intentionally one way or another. Uh, is that is that something we really are able to maintain? You know, maybe we start out in a given day. Uh, we say, I'm, you know, this is how I feel. I'm going to, I'm going to show, you know, in, in, whether it is, I'm going to show them this person. And does that, is that sustainable? Well, it certainly, um, is problematic, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that's one of the interesting, you know, <laughs> the pandemic set the stage for all sorts of social experiments that were unattended, mm -hmm. right? But I mm -hmm. think, mm -hmm. so uh, my w wife is uh, a Pacific Islander, right? And so um, one of the things uh, that uh, she was alleviated from when she was able to work from home was, you know, sort of having to, um, address 
issues of personal identity at work. Um, one of the things that facilitated uh, for her um, with the ability to do hybrid work was just to concentrate on her work and provide her best self. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and you see that story repeated over and over again, right? There have been some great articles about folks, um, uh, you know, in minority groups that feel like they can do their best work at home because they don't have to play a role to fit in, right, um, right. you know, with a group dynamic. So I think there's some interesting uh, issues that we can look at um, because of, uh, you know, all of the dynamics that happened from work at home. But I still <laughs> think that uh, the basis of organizational psychology and group cohesion, the fact that um, we build these groups that are dynamic and complex, and how mm-hmm. can we create a psychological safe space? Because it looks like um, at least the tides of, um, you know, what we're seeing from big group leaders, and generally that flows down to smaller organizations, is that leadership wants folks back in the office. And I think, right, right. you know, it, it, if you're looking at that from the enterprise level, there is good reason um, for that to happen because it's clear yeah. that uh, at least from a creativity standpoint and yes. things that happen when people are able to get together just aren't happening. Um, yes. Even though, again, I've just, you know, uh, disclosed a lot of benefits for um, advocating for work from home. So mm-hmm. if all of that is true, right, if it's true that whether we like it or not, we're likely going to have to get back into in-person groups, then mm-hmm. how can we create a psychological safe space so mm-hmm. that everyone um, feels like that they're able to adhere to common work goals because what we do know through organizational psychology is when we all believe that we're moving the needle in the same direction, we all feel mm-hmm. good about what we're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, the Fast Company article that you referenced that I wrote um, at the beginning of our program, uh, you know, one of the ideas I brought forth in there I actually borrowed from Benet Brown, and that's the mm-hmm. idea of floodlighting, right? So mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. rapport with your colleagues is great, but if your authentic self also means that you bring your personal problems to the office, there are other folks that might not be psychologically prepared to, sure, to have those sure. dumped on them, right? Right, um, right. And so that's just one of a lot of issues of emotional labor that if we're not approaching work um, with empathy – uh, and trying to create this we environment where we all feel safe and we're all kind of more focused on the group goals, um, then, again, you could potentially be causing psychological harm for others. And so that's the right. crux of the argument is that, right. you know, right. yes, bring your best self to work, and yes, make sure that you ensure your own psychological safety. But, you know, we just saw, you know, this is kind of a real-time example, but, you know, uh, somebody's humor uh, might not, uh, you know, something that you authentically feel is funny might not be funny to somebody else, right? I mean, yes, yes. actually, Maybe. I don't want to call out that specific example. Right, but right. You know, over the course of the last few months, we've seen, you know, where someone thought that they weren't doing actual harm and another person felt they were. And it was, yes. you know, it could be boiled down to just the difference of opinion. Um, yeah. But isn't that always a challenge that um, when you talk about safety, the perspective, so where you have someone just in the case of thinking something is funny or even thinking that the space itself is safe and 
a lot of that safety often depends on the view of your your sense of belonging to a group or a majority group, and that majority group could be, you know, everyone who's in favor of X or Y. It's not necessarily um, race or gender or, you know, some kind of affiliation, but it could just be um, any number of other indicators that is a part of the, the majority group. And and so that perspective that it is a safe space is difficult to achieve because people um, there's a there's a continuum of safety and so how how do you how do you bring authenticity in the, in that you know to that space uh, given that how can how can you no, actually be you're exactly right yep the you know the adage that heavy is the head that wears the crown applies mm-hmm. here right and mm-hmm. so um no one said leadership was easy or you know, we would uh you know um you know it wouldn't be the coveted position that it is and i think one of the burdens of leadership is to ensure they're checking in with their employees mm-hmm. to make sure mm-hmm that that um, space is maintained. And you're exactly right. I think I was, you know, using some examples that were pertinent for uh, the pandemic, you know, that, yeah, that yeah. shined a light on some of these issues, but you're exactly right. I mean, this could be um, all sorts of different differences, right? Religious differences, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it runs the gambit. And, yes. it, um, and so um, it is the role of the leader to check in and see what are those boundaries, right? And so this goes back to some of my doctoral work, um, and it's a little tangential, so bear with me. But yeah. what I found in, in studying um, small and mid-sized businesses that really excelled at workplace wellness was that um, with regards to their interventions, they were really figuring out what was the group dynamics and then tailoring those interventions specifically to what their employees did. So one that I thought was remarkable was a company that realized they weren't going to get their employees to stop smoking because in that particular environment, smoking was part of the the culture, yet their smoking Uh cessation program was really expensive. And what these employees really wanted to do um, was engage in other activities of wellness like mindfulness training and yoga. And so they reappropriated those funds and actually really moved the needle and so how that anecdote applies here is with, you know, to answer your question specifically, is uh, leadership doing that exact same thing, right? Like what are the bumper rails of safety for this particular group? And then can we play within that? Because once you create that safety, then you can start to have a playful space where you're, you know, you're doing interesting things. You know what uh, jokes are appropriate for that particular group and what aren't. You know what things, um, what questions are okay to ask so that you guys can start to build rapport. Like, is it okay to talk about your family or is it not, right? And so all these things seem superfluous, but if you're not mindful about how you're approaching it, they can become really problematic, right? An anecdote that a, a friend, a colleague of mine, um, Jeff Harry said was, you know, where we were talking about fun in the workplace specifically, like, you know, one of, the, uh, one of these um, group cohesion exercises often is going to an escape room, right, as kind mm-hmm. of an organizational development exercise. But mm-hmm. do you want to be locked in an escape room with five other people that you don't like? Now you're trapped in a room <laughs> with, with folks you don't even want to be with, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... 
you know, I think you need to start from a place of psychological safety, and that really is the burden of um, the manager of that group, right, is gotcha. to make sure that they're checking in with each person. Because oftentimes, you know, there are folks, especially, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the big five. If you have introverted tendencies, unless someone prods you, oftentimes you're going to hold that emotional baggage like, hey, you know, yeah, I really like this team, but X is really bothering me. And so extrapolating that out from your colleagues, you know, and making sure that you are providing a, a space where everyone is really enjoying their time has sure. so many benefits, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. I have a, a bias slant towards fun, but once, mm-hmm. you know, we see time and time again replicated all across social psychology and organizational psychology, if people are enjoying their time together, you know, based on a foundation of psychological safety, then that group really thrives. And it doesn't mean that everyone can't be different, right? And it doesn't right. mean that right. they can't be authentic either. Again, you know, I want to hammer home that it's not that you can't be yourself. It's that mm-hmm. you need to bring your best self and that if they're authentic uh, components of your personality, that would be better served by enjoying, you know, that aspects of your id outside of the workplace to uh, maybe divvy up, you know, what you bring to work and what you enjoy sure. outside of home. Sure. No, that makes that makes great sense. Now, so I, I have a couple of questions. One, um, I want to shift back to you mentioned, you know, the challenge of the pandemic. And then so everyone, you know, Zoom became a household word. <laughs> you know, it became yeah. a noun, a verb. You know, I'm going to Zoom you. I'm going to, you know, we're on Zoom. <laughs> so um, that's right. It, it, it was it was what we were all doing. And another challenge was, so how in this two-dimensional screen that I'm sharing, and I've, I've led, honestly, I've, I've led professional development exercises where we'd have upwards of 100-plus people on Zoom to the point where you have to scroll to see different, you know, um, screens full of people. Um, and, and so it was really hard to connect with people, um, there are some people I know that were probably very successful um, outside of Zoom, but like whenever they're in person, they're able to connect and have um, who they are appear and, and become accessible to people, but struggle to do that on Zoom. And so how are you finding, if at all, people are able to intentionally expose aspects of who they are authentically because they know those are the things. Because if you're, if you're trying to influence people, if you're trying to motivate them, that you have to connect. And so how and, – and often that is, that is those parts of you that people regard as authentic and genuine um, that makes them want to follow you. And, and, and the challenge of doing that in a two-dimensional area is really steep. So what, what, how are you seeing that people accomplish that or, or struggle? Yeah, so it, yeah, well, it's both, right, obviously. And so, um, you know, we talk about situational intimacy, and I think the heavy lift with regards to maintaining that type of authenticity in a Zoom ecosystem 
is um, the extra burden of making sure that you create that intimacy through more one-on-one -on -one interactions, right? And so the um, situation that you described, that is almost impossible um, because I, I meant think about it. So technology enabled you to reach out to 100 people, and that's great, right, because you can scale your communication. Um, if we were at a cocktail party and there were 100 people within that room, you're not going to have that same situational intimacy. You're probably going to hone in on five people and then enjoy those, the, the company of those five people, however you storm-formed and normed that night, right? And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you need to sort of replicate that in the virtual world. And so what it's going to take is the extra work of after that you know, big event where there was 100 people within a Zoom room, figuring out how you can create intimacy you know, with the folks that you want to do and create those authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that opens the door for um, a good, you know, additional narrative. And that is that if you do want to be your authentic self, um, you know, with the, within a work environment, because let's face it, you know, for most of us at a minimum, we're spending one third of our life, you know, within that environment, right? So yeah. to completely yeah. ignore your authentic self would be a burden, right? It would likely eat up. Right. Um, some of your grit and some of your resilience. But if you're within a group dynamic where it is going to create emotional labor for your cohorts because um, that's not the task at hand, then maybe figure out who it, within your workplace you can create those relationships with, right? Yeah. And so um, one of the studies that I brought up in the book and I often talk about is that we know that when leaderships force um, uh, subordinates to go to lunch, that's actually more stressful than asking them to do more work, right? Because mm -hmm. one of the facets of our well-being, especially within the workplace, is autonomy, right? So mm -hmm. one of the big benefits of the pandemic is we gained a lot more autonomy over how we spend yeah. our time. Again, yeah. the cost of that was loneliness, right? Which we now know, mm -hmm. you know, especially mm -hmm. if, if you uh, skew towards loneliness, that can have the same ill effects as, uh, you know, according to, to uh, recent research, smoking or sitting, which is, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. is, is really remarkable. So you need to balance it. But um, the point here is that you um, can find the opportunities for those relationships out of your immediate work group, right? And so that takes an extra step. But often with just a nudge, like the one I just gave anyone listening, is why not find people that you really want to be with maybe down mm -hmm. the hall or in a different mm. work group, or maybe it's just the receptionist, right? Like whatever mm -hmm. it is, as long as you're not, um, you know, taking advantage of any power dynamic. And generally mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. not the case if you're, you know, going to a different department altogether. Um, mm -hmm. And this works better with bigger organizations, but, um, you know, uh, with smaller organizations, you can do the same thing with using tools like meetup.com to find other professionals or sure, you know, LinkedIn sure. groups and, and um, there's all sorts of opportunities to cohort with folks that have similar interests, yes. and then you don't pose the same risk of potentially disrupting that, you know, really important um, group cohesion that's dynamic, but also so complex as we've really got into in the last half hour, right? Yeah. So you can yeah. find that fulfillment um, and, you know, really express yourself with work colleagues, but then not run the risk of, you know, potentially unloading um, or floodlighting, you know, your direct colleagues. 
Yes, and and so it, it's certainly not lost on me what you said, and I think I, I while in some cases it might not be healthy to compartmentalize. I certainly heard that, that you are saying that it may be appropriate that aspects of yourself that you have a need to express are better expressed kind of intentionally in one place or another where it's appropriate. Um, And so it's not always you know, I, I think about sometimes um, we, we've had people um, who, let's say, like to dance, and they they dance a certain way, and in some cases, it's just that's not the appropriate way to express yourself in the workplace. And and But there are other places where that might be uh, possible, but just not in these, in these places. And so where I, I guess my question then becomes, where is, how does one um, determine, are there any, um, or, or is there any advice you have about someone saying, well, um, there's not enough opportunity for me to demonstrate even the smallest aspect of myself in this place? What, what does that look like? Um, how what what is the um, the kind of benchmark where someone would know that no it's not them it's you that's too much that's not appropriate but where how how would someone uh, evaluate that um, who I'm trying to be I can't be here so I should look elsewhere I can't find someone down the hallway I can't find someone in another department um, when do they know that it's just not a good fit. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the the right tools there is dialogue, right? So, um, you know, talking and asking whether or not, um, you know, certain behavior is appropriate, right? And so you're going to get immediate feedback. And, you know, it's okay to ask. If you haven't engaged in it, you know, unless you're, you know, in unless it's really provocative, so that would be an edge case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get immediate feedback whether um, that is going to be accepted or not, and vice okay. versa, right? Someone might come to you and say, hey, you know, is this um, okay within our group environment? And it's up to you whether or not you can accept that. And that's part of that storming, norming, forming process that, you know, mm-hmm. is part of any group dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, if that, after that dialogue you still feel uncomfortable or you don't feel like you can be your best self within that Mm. work environment. There's really Mm -hmm. only a third choice and that is to look for an alternative. Now I've had these discussions before and I understand and I'm very empathetic that that statement that I just made comes from a place of privilege, right? Because Mm. there are certain situations where finding another job is just not possible. And so Um, this is kind of deviating from our topic, but what Mm -hmm. I often suggest then is how can you find aspects of your work that can become pleasurable because you're not enjoying the company of others, you know, because Mm -hmm. whether it's a toxic Mm -hmm. environment and you can't change Mm -hmm. your job or just simply maybe it's not a good match. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then, so, you know, at that point it becomes a coping exercise until you can, you know, facilitate and manifest an opportunity that is a better fit for who you are. Um, And the nice thing is that there, 
with a little bit of due diligence and mindfulness of that, that is an, an, um, an important thing for you to feel like mm-hmm. your identity is really supported by an organization. If you go in with that mindset, you generally can find an organization, you know, that has a resonance with who you are, you know, mm-hmm. by making sure that during the interview process, you're not just evaluating, you know, um, the economic hygiene needs that you're looking yes. for, you know, salary yes. and benefits of that nature, but you're also evaluating whether or not these folks are, you know, will you believe will turn into friendly relationships. And mm-hmm. so I think what becomes problematic is a lot of people evaluate, you know, their next job only on economic hygiene needs. Right. And so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. taking that extra step, like, yeah, this is going to pay me well, but you know, playing this forward two years from now, I think I, I might be a miserable person. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, it's just these little nudges like, oh, I would, you know, without being prompted, I don't think I would have thought of, you know, taking that extra step of evaluating sure. um, a job fit. And I'll tell you, it's an advantageous time to do that, right? I mean, you, yeah, we yeah. brought up already the, the great resignation. I mean, it's a hot job market, but I think the recession is coming. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you are in that camp, this is the time to, to look for something that might be a better fit for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, one of the, what you just said made me think of something else about that I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard too, is where there's some people who say, um, you know, I go to work to work. I'm not looking for friends. I don't need that. I don't need, you know, I don't need any new friends. I don't need any companionship. I just want to go to work. I don't want to socialize. I don't, I, you know, I work in teams well, but I don't need the other components of, of friendship and, and feeling good about being at work. I'm there to work. How realistic is that though? Is that realistic? I think it is all? realistic, to be yeah, quite honest. I so. Okay. I don't, um, uh, do we have to? Are we, do I have room to answer? Oh yes, by all means, yes, please. We, oh, we're we're going over. Sorry, yeah. I thought yeah. you were telling us that we we're. At, no, um, I think uh, for those folks, that's okay, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. is one of the to not be accepting of someone that really just wants to go to work to work. Um, is, uh, I mean, what a beautiful thing, right? I mean, there are not mm-hmm. many of us. I mean, I truly <laughs> want to enjoy my entire day, mm-hmm. but I have mm-hmm. friends that are like that. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. you know, not to stereotype, but I, I would say personally, so I, I can say this personally, that yeah. my friends that are accountants, their mindset is that they get so so much flow from the numbers. It's not necess- They wouldn't tell you they're having fun, but they don't mm-hmm. want to have silly sock day or a ping pong table <laughs> in the background, right. you know, interrupt. They, they want right. to get the work right. done um, and, and be done with it. So, yeah. um, but, you know, that's an important um, concept that you need to be mindful that there are those folks in your organization and forcing them into fun, right, or forcing mm. them into, yeah. hey, I really want to get, you know, you to get with the program. That mm-hmm. is doing harm to psychological safety. And again, probably one of your best assets, right? Generally, when people have those tendencies, um, those are the ones that like give you an honest day and generally just want to get their work done because what they prioritize is a job well done at the end of the day and being compensated for that job, right? And so insisting that, again, they quote unquote get with the program or like insisting that they, you know, attend 
you know, the company happy hour at the end of the day because, you know, I want you to get along with your colleagues. Like, they already do. They know what their role is. So um, it's interesting that you bring that up. Again, it's an edge mm-hmm. case, but I think it's an important mm-hmm. edge case because here is someone that is self-selecting into the fact that they just want to get their work done. I mean, sure. what, is, what is the problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, you know, and and especially for people, I mean, what you've offered is great insight for people in leadership roles is to recognize that there are, again, there's a continuum. And so not that there are people, as you said, they have these edges where there are some people who are social butterflies at work and they live for the after work activities, the bonding at the water cooler, you know, like all of those things are really important to them. And then you have, you know, and they look forward to that all day, every day. But then there are those who saying, like you just mentioned, I just, I, this, the work itself is enough for me. Um, you know, and, and I brought that up for that reason is because I know that somehow people try to force different members of the the work group into um you know somewhere in the middle or at least being more socially a part of the group and i'll tell you if you um reward folks by being empathetic to um that work style you'll be rewarded mm-hmm. so i'll give a personal example mm-hmm. i have an mm-hmm. employee that it fits that bill exactly and we had a big company offsite, and, and we were we had a big lavish dinner after that offsite. And he was invited to the dinner, and I I know him well, and I um, so I invited him knowing that he likely was going to ask if he couldn't go um, mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. not his cup of tea, mm-hmm. right? And sure, so I sure. did two things. One, I graciously said, of course you don't need to go. Um, I'm not going to name him by name. But mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then I protected him when everyone was like, well, why isn't, you know, so and so here? And I said, because he didn't want to. And he respects me so much more for um, providing that psychological safety for him because mm-hmm, it wouldn't have been mm-hmm. a good use uh, of time for him. He prioritizes mm-hmm. family time and time with his kids. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what I'm doing is, is taking that away from him. So it's actually a penalty, right? Here's a guy that, that gives me some of his best work. He puts mm-hmm. in an honest day, and then um, I'm going to penalize that by forcing him to go and do something that he doesn't want to do. Doesn't want to so do, even right, though, right? Yeah, it was a really fun event for all the folks that attended it, and it was extra, right? It was an extracurricular activity that mm-hmm. the company invested in. So there is that tension, right? Well, we spent all this money, and you know, we want to take everyone out to dinner. Um, so there's you know a small opportunity cost, but at the end of the day. The opportunity cost is greater for that specific employee to drag him out to do something he doesn't want to do. Yeah. So I think, you know, just to kind of put a a point on that, um, you know, why it's so important and why, you know, when we talk about authenticity and fun, you know, making sure that we really are empathetic in our approach, you know. And so, you know, I would say the key takeaways are as an individual, how can we create we experiences that are authentic to the group? So that we're looking at um, group cohesion and figuring out what goals can we all get behind so we all feel good that we're supporting each other. And then mm-hmm. from, you know, uh, the aspect of taking care of ourselves, where can we flex our autonomy 
um, you know, in the right environment so that yes. we are feeling authentic because that is important, um, you know, to support that, you know, in the right context. So yes. situational awareness and context awareness um, are important, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they do need to be thought of mindfully, you know, yeah. without discussing it up front. You know, even the best of us can can often be uh, questioning again, you know, like, why didn't my colleague go go to that dinner? Well, because again, I went back and asked him and when he explained it's because for him um, being authentic means being a good father and that Mm -hmm. takes away time from his children. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so. Yeah, no, that makes absolutely perfect sense. Thank you so much. And I know we've gone way over. I do want to take (laughs) a moment. I know you, yes, no, no, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. It's been great. And I always have a cushion so that we, um, we can continue to talk without, you know, fear of being shut off. So thank you so much. Uh, it's been <laughs> very, very insightful. So the, the, the last thing I do want to mention, uh, go, or at least come back to, is I know you have a book coming out uh, January 2023, The Fun Habit. Um, want to make sure people know about that. Um, give us a trailer on The Fun Habit, what it's about, what you're doing, and um, any ways in which people might follow you, you know, handles on social media where they can track you down, listen to you, or otherwise uh, contact you. But love to get just a quick trailer on uh, The Fun Habit. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that so much. So um, just a quick correction. It's coming out January 3rd, uh, January 3rd, 2023. Okay. Um, Yeah, and it's a culmination of all my research on the science of fun. Again, why fun is um, such a useful tool, uh, especially for so many of us feeling burnt out and lonely after the pandemic, how just taking, you know, it's basically a toolbox of really simple things that you can Mm. deploy in your daily life Mm -hmm. so that you Mm -hmm. can start experiencing more joy and delight. And uh, yeah, um, uh, it's available for pre-order now and it it will be out um, early next year. And then uh, I uh, write a lot, as as you've already mentioned, and you can find all of that um, on my website at michaelrucker.com and on Twitter, I'm under the handle perform better. And on Instagram, I'm under the, um, the wonder of fun and LinkedIn. It's just my name, Michael Rucker, uh, PhD. So I'm happy to connect on any of those platforms. And thank you so much for one, allowing me to be on the show and two, um, allowing me to, to share that. Oh, no, my my pleasure. And again, thank you. You've added to me today. And I know that a lot of other people have benefited from this conversation. I'm going to be following you and certainly um, uh, looking forward to uh, reading uh, more about uh, the fun habit. Uh, a lot in my work, we we do try to make things fun and learning environment. And so I'm I'm really looking forward to some uh, hearing some of those strategies and looking into some of those strategies. So we'll be we'll be um, you know kind of watching. Um, what do, and I look forward to more of your articles. As I said, I'm a, a kind of a fast company junkie. I, I read a lot there and just looking forward to uh, learning more from you. Uh, looking forward to that. And so thanks again, Mike, um, looking to those uh, those great articles. But until next time, go well, stay well. <laughs>